Welcome to Conversations with Z and Vindesh, a weekly discussion that explores common life challenges and offers practical solutions. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. That's D-H-A-R-M-A media.com. Welcome back, everyone, to Conversations. This week's edition with Vin and Z, we are talking about feelings. And Z, this has been an interesting week for you. So this topic has come up in a few different ways. As we were talking offline, uh, you were sharing some of the work you've been doing with one of your clients who is generally uh, very ambitious and somewhat of an A-type personality who wants to get fit very quickly. And to do that, this person is pushing through the pain, pushing the body to the limits, even when he's feeling tired, he's feeling pain, he's feeling injury. He keeps on going because he wants to get to that point where he can get fit and he can get fit as quickly as possible. And he's got this idea in mind that to become very physically strong, we need to push ourselves extremely hard. It's got to be mind over matter. Ignore what's coming from the body. Just tough it out. Just push through it. And as you're listening to this and working with them, it's interesting to hear your perspective because you're a very fit person and you're certainly not averse to pain. I've worked out with you. At times, it can be extremely difficult, yet you know what the limits are of the body. So you're never going to push someone to an extreme. And your perspective on this is, why are you doing this? You're not fit enough to begin with to push yourself that hard. Your body is telling you something. So you have these feelings of pain, of fatigue, and that's something that you have to listen to. That's something that you have to respect. Sure, over time, you can get stronger. As you get stronger, you can work out harder. You can push yourself up to a point. But you have to be able to balance the exertion with the signals that you're getting from your own system and manage that feedback. And if you don't, the body breaks down. Unfortunately, it sounds like this might be happening to your client. He might have to get surgery. Hopefully, he avoids that. Uh, But the reason that he's experiencing this outcome is, again, he's got these feelings and he's not taking that signal and dealing with it properly. So we went from that to talking about feelings in another context, emotional pain. And you mentioned a book that just came out uh, about someone who jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge and survived. And this person, very interesting story, was extremely depressed, was going out one day, was thinking, he was thinking about killing himself. He got on a bus and he said to himself, if a single person shows me kindness, then I won't kill myself. Then it'll restore my faith in humanity. So (laughs) I feel bad I'm laughing at this. I mean, this is very politically incorrect, but I can't help it. So he gets on the bus. And he's hoping that someone's going to reach out and give him a helping hand or a hug or something like that. And the only interaction that he gets, uh, there are two guys on the bus who look at him crying and they start laughing at him and they say, wow, look at that loser. What an idiot. And then the bus stops. Everyone gets off. It's just him and the bus driver. He thinks, wow, this is my moment. I'm going to bond with the bus driver. He's going to save me. And instead, the bus driver looks at him and says, dude, my shift is over. You got to get off the bus. So this poor guy treks over to the Golden Gate Bridge, jumps off. You told me some detail about how he was pushed out of the way by a dolphin. I I didn't quite 
get everything about the story, uh, but somehow he survives uh, this ordeal. Oh, no, maybe it was a seal. Uh, sorry, not a dolphin, a seal. So he survives this ordeal. He writes a book about it. And in both cases, they seem very different. One's about feelings of physical pain. The other is about emotional turmoil. In both cases, though, the common denominator is how do we manage these feelings? What do we do about it? And there are a couple of lessons that I'm taking away just in our short discussion today. One is that feelings are a signal. So it's not good, it's not bad, but it's a signal that we're getting from our system, whether it's physical or emotional, and it's telling us something's a little bit out of whack. We have to do something about it. We have to pay attention to it. We have to work through it, resolve it, so we can move forward in our life, clear up the pain, clear up the negative feelings, and get back to more of a harmonious state. And if you think about that as a principle, it also implies something else, which is extremely important, which is we are responsible for our feelings. Particularly today in our society, we have this tendency to blame other people and talk about microaggressions or talk about people offending us or we get into these dramas, oh my God, can you believe what he said to me or what she did to me and it made me so mad and it just hurt me so badly. And yes, external factors can contribute to feelings. They can trigger feelings. But the fundamental cause of the feeling lies within. Remember that feeling we're getting, it's a signal that's telling us that something is off. So if you go back to the example of this poor sap who jumped off the Golden Gate Bridge, assume that he was really confident. He was at the top of his game. He just sold the company for hundreds of millions of dollars. He was dating three models. Uh, he was physically fit. He was uh, just crushing it in life, felt good about himself. And then if someone called him a loser, he would have laughed it off. He would have said, so what? Yeah, you think I'm a loser? Well, look at me, look at you. Or he probably wouldn't have even said anything because he's got that confidence inside. Uh, so again, feelings can be a trigger, or sorry, external situations can be a trigger. And certainly we want to treat people with kindness and respect, but we can't control what their feelings are. Those feelings are often coming from deeper places. And the lesson for us is that we are responsible, we are accountable, we've got to take ownership of ourselves. And that's the theme that runs throughout our podcast and our dispassionate observer philosophy, that sense of self-ownership. Uh, so I want to talk a bit about this today, explore your thoughts on feelings, how we diagnose feelings, how we pay attention to them, how we get away from unhealthy relationships to our feelings. Because oftentimes what people do, no one wants to feel sad or angry. Uh, so we tend to do things to hide from the feelings. Uh, either we'll suppress the feeling or maybe we'll just give way to the impulse and we'll be angry and we'll lash out or we'll do something that we regret. And we do these things which may temporarily feel good, uh, but Number one, they screw up relationships. They have long-term consequences. Number two, we're not addressing the fundamental issue. So we go through life and we just end up in some other situation. Someone else triggers us for some reason. We never take responsibility. We go through that cycle over and over. So Z, why don't you kick us off? Give us your thoughts on feelings and how can we go from being a victim to someone who's in charge? Vin, as you're speaking and, and you're doing a recap of our, our we do this pre-conversation before we do these podcasts that gets us worked up and get on topic. We don't have a, uh, a, a an annual script of what we're going to talk about. We look at events of the day, we're inspired by things we go through, and then you and I talk it up. 
and then you give me uh, a certain energy and I give it back to you. As you were talking, I thought about things that, that, that how I relate to the world. Feelings are like the indicators on your car. When you sit in your car and you go to start your car, you put the key in. It t- these little lights tell you different things about the status of your car. It even suggests that you put on your seatbelt, right? Or it'll tell you your lights are on and your motor's not. Or whatever, how much gas you have. It's telling you all these things, but you know what? Inevitably, it's up to you what you're going to do with that information. It's totally up to you what you do with that information. You get in your car, you you don't have to put your seatbelt on. You can just go, you know, straight naked into a wall if you want. You don't have to go to the gas station then a little light and the buzzer comes on, but the car will stop. But you don't, it's like the guy pushing himself based on some fitness schedule, not listening to his body. So things got inflamed, things got sore, the little light came on. But he could, he could override that light, or he could succumb to it, or he could panic every time a light comes on. You get in the car, there's a little light that tells you your air is low on your tire. You look out there, the air's not low in my tire. I knocked the sensor off on a pothole. But it gives you an opportunity to check in. If it's low, you can fill it up. If it's not for false alarm, you can negate it. So too with our feelings of all kinds, they're there as kind of warning lights, idiot lights in a sense, that tells you here are things that are coming up. Check your environment. Check all areas of your life and then do what you need to do as you move forward. I think about how feelings can inspire all manners of action. And these actions are only judged by the final outcome of what you do with those feelings. I was sharing with you earlier, I came in the other day, I had stopped at the local grocery store and I walk in, the woman, uh, see the woman, I always greet her, very nice woman, Therese. And she's in tears. And I say, hey, what's going on? She said, oh, nothing, it's okay. I said, Therese, what's going on? She said, I'm tired. And she goes on and she just tells me about she's not able to get help. She talks about how many hours she spends there a day. She opens at 6 a.m. and closes at 10 at night in between... On her travels, she has to either go restock or stop by the bank. And she said, now I don't, I don't have anybody working, so I don't have time to do that. And then the vendors don't all take checks. They take cash. It trains you enough. And this wave of emotion hits me, not just empathy. It wasn't just disconnected or general empathy. It was very specific. My mother was an entrepreneur. My aunts were entrepreneurs through all issues in their life, through separations from their spouses, through ups and downs, through revolution, through social upheaval, through change of seasons. And I realized that, wow, I'm looking at my mom. And she says, yeah, my son doesn't love me because he doesn't think I loved him. But all I could do was work to provide. It was just me. It was only me. So many of his days, he had to sit down in the store and do his homework under my feet here. 
and he resents me, and, and, and I, I wish he understood that I loved him. And I said, wow, that's exactly what I thought about my mom all my life. So the feelings I had, the indicators of what was love and what was not love, uh, they were just indicators. It was up to me to sort out and do what I did. Well, if you're working 16, 18 hours a day to put food on the table, you probably don't have time to go to the kids' ball games and things I do with my kids. Take them to the racetrack, do the little things you do, their capoeira classes. You just want to make sure they're alive, they're safe, and they're fed. That's all. You have no bandwidth for that. That's practical. That's reasonable. That's mathematically quantifiable. But feelings don't work like that. Feelings don't have intellect. They're just out there like flashing lights, drawing our attention, but it's up to us what we do with that feeling. We have gut instinct feelings that are telling us, yeah, the car's about to run out of gas. That light has been on for more than 30 minutes. There's a sign ahead that says, next gas station, 50 miles. Should I pull over or should I keep going? But you know what? I'm in a rush. I don't feel like, st- I don't feel like stopping. So then you find yourself stranded on the side of the road for hours and hours. Or you can take that same inspiration from that indicator, pull in, accept the feeling of hurriedness and not react to it and do what would be reasonable and practical in that moment and fill your tank up and keep going. The challenge we have with feelings is that we allow them and them alone to govern so much of our our feeling and, and our actions, I should say. Actions are initiated by something, a call to action, a manipulation of events, a teasing of emotions. Well, the girl, this young lady just busted Facebook, right? We've been talking about this for a long time. That they said that hate, rage, fear drives sales, it drives focus, it drives clicks. Why? Because negative feelings require the consumption of energy more than positive feelings. When you feel good, it doesn't require an expenditure of energy. When you feel bad, it requires an expenditure of energy to remedy the bad feeling. But the problem is, is people often remedy the bad feeling with more bad feeling. Good feelings don't need anything. If you feel good, you just want to dwell. You're not even going shopping. You're not hoarding things. You're not buying guns. You're not putting bumper stickers on your car. You're not joining various types of protests and counter protests. Because you just feel good. And you feel so good, you're not voting. You're not getting involved in that. You got to be mad to go vote. You ever see how they make people mad to get them to vote? They had a campaign here in California, a failed campaign, and they wanted to uh, take the governor out. They wanted to recall the governor in California. Well, nobody was mad enough at him to to get in their car and drive a block or walk, take an Uber down the street or or uh, get a scooter or something and go to a polling place. They weren't mad enough. So the people 
who were on the other side of the campaign, their whole goal was to make people mad. But they couldn't, people weren't mad about that. So it's something we understand about feelings. Good feelings require less energy. Bad feelings are much more dynamic, active, fiery, energy consumptive. They're fireworks. They're, they're, they're skyrockets. They're all these things. They're gunshots. They're, they're, are, they're ruckus. They're, they're um, so exciting. So that's why often bad feelings get us to act. And that then becomes an, endo- an endocrine addictor where we don't feel alive unless we're engaged in something. Or we have so much built up in us, we have to vent it out. People say, I just need to vent. And oftentimes, people don't always vent happy things. They do sometimes. Oh, let me tell you what I did. It was so much fun. I just, ah, so much fun. Yay! Usually, it's like, let me tell you what the hell happened. You know, this sequence of horrible events. The point being, for those of us who are opt-outs, who are really looking for ways of mitigating our own suffering and those of others, having that mantra and knowing that feelings have no intellect and the intellect doesn't feel, there is a harmonious commerce between them so that the feelings are indicators. Imagine you had in your frame of vision little indicators like on your car dashboard that come up. And you want to listen to them and notice them and address them, but not overly fixate or vest in them and get them to alter you from your course. I was telling Caitlin the other day, she was pissed off and I was telling her, okay, that's enough pissed off. Let it go. Because the kind of energy that negative is, it wants more of it. It wants more of it. It wants a chorus. It wants a rally cry. It wants people to join in because it has entropy, meaning it gives no energy. Negativity, negative feelings give no energy. They have a purpose to alert you to danger. Alert you to danger. That doesn't mean act on it. It's an alert. You're walking down the street. You observe something that gives you a bad feeling. It gives you an opportunity to go down another street. How about that? Let's go down another street that's more pleasant. Let's go to Pleasant Avenue instead of Freddy Krueger Road or whatever, right? So you're getting these opportunities. Also, let's hold dear that no one owns your feelings. People can say things, do things that feel bad, but unless they are actively threatening you, actively encroaching upon you, actively attacking you, then it doesn't matter. So if a, a roving, deranged person is ranting and cursing walking down the street, as long as they have not made eye contact with you and have focused on you, there's nothing to really concern you. Oh, they told me I was this or that. Or you go to a comedy show and somebody talks about your particular tribe you're affiliated with, and you don't like them teasing your tribe. It's okay to tease other people's tribes. But when they tease your tribe, then you go home and you start pecking away at the, the Instagrammy and all this other kind of stuff 
mad at them wanting no one in the world to buy their product. You want them dead. You want them off the earth. Or they made a joke about Catholics or they made a joke about whatever group you're attached to. So you've taken your negative feelings and it's making you take action and spread that and wanting to con- uh, make a contagion to other people in your tribe so you can hate that person. Now they hate that person and, it, and enough of that energy comes up then they want to attack that person. And enough of that energy comes up then they want to see that person wiped off the earth. All because of how you felt. Not because of anything that happened. Your life wasn't hindered in any way. Your life was not changed in any way. Your home wasn't threatened. Your food supply wasn't diminished. Your financial security was not altered. It was your feeling. Take ownership of your feeling. Understand that that your desire for things to go a certain way have a role in how you feel. There are times when people are very busy. Like I talked to you about the lady in the store and I think about those of us with spouses. We get busy and Sometimes, I don't know if you've ever gone through this, but you almost just ignore your spouse. You just, you just don't have the bandwidth. You're just busy. And it has nothing to do with malice, contempt. It doesn't mean you hate the person. It just means you're a human being. And oftentimes we can do that because in that neutral feeling is because there is no negativity. There's comfort. That's why we often say familiarity breeds contempt. We're so used to them. How often do you sit there and look at amazement at your left hand? Or look at the, wiggle your toes and just look at amazement that you can walk. Those are your companions. Those are your real good companions. Then you walk by and you see somebody with no arms and no legs. And then you look at your arms and legs and say, damn, hey, honey, I'm glad you're home. Glad you're here, baby. Right? So feelings are witnesses, tools. But they're not actions. The action you take is yours and yours alone. Take ownership. When you say, oh, you made me feel bad. Let's say I know people who have lost a loved one. And they're very angry at the person that died. Think about that. You've heard about that, right? I don't know if you've ever heard about this, but there's a phenomenon where somebody will die and the people, their loved ones, will be mad at them for dying. Think about how crazy that is. So the feeling of grief partners up with a feeling of anger and the feeling of bewilderment and change all end up in this kind of horror stew of anger and resentment. And I know of people who have acted out on that anger by hurting themselves or doing negative things to feel they will embarrass the dead. I'll teach you for dying. No, people really do stuff like that. And it's all raw base feelings. People often talk about times when they say, I feel disrespected. Think about how that. I feel 
disrespected. Well, so what? Are you disrespected? And what does that even mean? I don't even know what that means. Oftentimes, people who express contempt or act out in malice towards you, it is beyond respect. It is, that's why it's called malice. In, in, in legal terms, malice with forethought, that you actually go out to hurt somebody. Most of the time when a person feels disrespected, there was no malice of forethought. There was no prior thing. People were just going about their business. When you go home and you don't really acknowledge your mate for a minute after a long day, that's not, you didn't do that maliciously. You didn't start your day at 12 noon and say, I'm going to go home and I'm going to walk right past my wife and not notice anything, not say hi. You didn't do that. Rarely do people do that. So we want to check our feelings. Take ownership of what we feel. Don't let a feeling control or dictate your actions. Let well-balanced reason thinking filter that feeling so whatever action you take is beneficial to you and sustainable to the biome that you exist in. You follow me, Vin? Yeah, I think it's the opposite of how our culture has evolved because we've gotten to this point where everything is someone else's fault. And it's kind of strange to me for a few reasons. If you observe people, listen to conversations that a lot of us have, it's just a constant narrative of drama. It's like being part of a soap opera. So it's, good God, this happened to me today, and it was so hard, and I was so afraid, and then something else happened. Can you believe they said this, and uh, this is what I said to that person, and I put them in their place? And what's odd to me about this, uh, number one, it's uh, just this view. I kind of imagine a ping pong ball in the middle of the ocean, and you're just being tossed around. So whatever wave comes you're at the mercy of that wave. And if a big wave comes, you're going to go under. Then another wave comes, and you go in a different direction. Then the undercurrent comes, and it pulls you somewhere else. It feels like a horrible way to live. Why do you always want to be at the mercy of external conditions, of what someone says to you or how they look at you? And most of the time, the intent isn't there. That's the key point, and you made that point. What is the other person trying to do? Are they trying to make you feel bad? Are they trying to attack you? Maybe they're just tired. Maybe they didn't make eye contact. Maybe they're afraid because you look like you're in a bad mood. They don't know how you're going to react, so they're tiptoeing around you, and it comes off as passive-aggressive. We don't even know other people's intent, and if we had that perspective and broadened our perspective, it might mitigate a lot of these feelings. But we're so willing to just engage in this drama. I remember there was a story. It was in this book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And the author talked about how he was on a train once. I think it was a subway. And there was a man with a couple of kids. And the kids were just running around screaming, causing all kinds of havoc. And the man wasn't doing anything. He was just sitting in his chair. And 
everyone was getting more and more annoyed at this person. And uh, finally, uh, the I believe it was the author of the book, went up to him and said, excuse me, you know, your kids are running around. Uh, they're going kind of crazy. You might want to do something about it. And the guy just looked up, and he had this vacant expression, and he said, yeah, you, you know, uh, we just got back from the hospital, and their mother just died. And I guess they don't know how to deal with it. They don't really know how to behave. And the entire situation completely changed. So the feelings of anger and irritation and frustration and entitlement disappeared, and they were replaced by compassion and and shame and probably feelings of sorrow just from that knowledge. What I'm getting at is that if we don't know why someone is doing something, why do we impute intent? Because when we get into this this mode of creating stories in our head about why different people are acting the way that they do, we're crediting them with with a certain will, a certain intent that they may or may not have. And then based on that, which we've come up with in our mind, we react to it. So what are we really reacting to? It gets back to the beginning of our conversation. We're reacting to ourselves. We're projecting a certain idea of what someone else is doing and why they're doing it on that person. And based on what we're projecting, we're reacting to it. So in that sense, the external is irrelevant. I mean, it's almost like we're just going in circles in our own mind. And of course, that's going to require tremendous energy and that's going to lead. It's like a dream world. It doesn't have to be tethered to reality. It can just spiral out of control. And we get into these cycles where we're just ruled by emotions and we go from highs to lows and uh, from fear to hope uh, to dread to something else, all because of these mental projections that are going on inside of us. And instead of dealing with what's happening inside, we don't have the awareness to recognize that it's our problem. Or maybe we've just been trained to blame external conditions. So we're always looking for some external resolution. And then you can see how this tends to spiral out of control. Because if we do that, and we're in this straight, we're on this state of drama and the state of blaming and guessing other people's intentions, then we try to control everything around us. So it's like, oh, if everyone could just do this, if they could just behave this way, then I would be fine. If they would just walk a little bit faster on the sidewalk so I wouldn't be late, if they would just drive properly, if they would just ask me politely about my day, if they just wouldn't be so inconsiderate and leave things lying around the house, everything would be fine. And it becomes the ultimate victim complex. We're just victims of the world around us. We have no agency. The only solution in our mind is that we can control everything. We can play God. Uh, We can rearrange the world so that it matches whatever our needs are at that particular moment, which of course is completely insane. And as I'm describing this, the insanity becomes vivid, Z. I mean, it really stands out just how crazy this whole process is of blaming other people for what we feel. But talk to us about that, because at least from what I've observed, that's the default mode for a lot of us. We just tend to fall into this behavior. I don't know if it's that we like the drama and it's easy to talk about 
and their temporary feelings of satisfaction, or maybe it's just a way to pass the time and we get together. It gives us something to do, to speculate on. Instead of watching a drama on TV, uh, we create our own drama and we bring our friends together and they all feed into it. I'm not sure what the reason is, but what are your thoughts? Where does this come from? Vin, it's, it's, the, um, <clears throat> it's the low road. It's the easiest thing to do is to yield the floor responsibility to someone else. Most people quickly blame other people for whatever it is because of the deep desire for validation and the narcissistic element in all of us that wants to be grandized. Everybody wants a gold medal, but very few people want to work for one. So that tendency on the lower levels of who we are, on the low side, that's why we want to elevate ourselves. That's why we strive to be enlightened and self-realized. When you think about feelings and what people project to you that create a feeling, feelings are basically benign like a a tumor that's benign. It is only time that tumor is a problem is the times when it's a problem is when it grows too big and when it's seasoned with other, with diseases that are consumptive. So what would be the diseases of this benign feelings you're having? Undefined feelings need to be defined. So once you feel something, ask yourself, what are the ones that are dangerous? What are the ones that are destructive? Is the person malicious or are they indifferent? See, these are very dangerous. Malice projections and intention towards you are just as bad as indifference because then your life has no worth in that person's community in that environment that you share with that person. That's very dangerous. It's why the woman with some uh, company recently got in trouble in writing these letters. People get in so much trouble because they express their intent to be malicious or to be indifferent. You will always lose in the world we live in if you do not accept responsibility for announcing your intention. And if that intention you announce is malice or indifferent, you will probably be low-hanging fruit for cancel culture. So that's one of the upsides. Be aware of. So uh, some woman who was an executive at Timberland or something like that, wrote up how she basically hated black people. Um, Hey, they're lazy, they're shiftless. I don't trust them. So her whole company is based on selling products to black people. The income of her whole company. Most of their income comes from black consumers. She's an Asian woman who the very fact that she could be in this country was because of civil rights uh, movement that allowed her to be here. And she went on and on about how much she not only disliked 
but she had no value for by. So she was indifferent and malicious. So the people who got this felt that it made them feel a certain way. And with that feeling, it inspired them to share that negative feeling with as many people as they could that then affected the company's bottom line that they had to fire the woman because it was affecting their bottom line. So from her intention, she created a feeling and from how these people acted on that feeling, based on the feedback she had, there was redundancy to it. You see, she kept seasoning the feeling with two things that will end up as viewed as a pre-attack. Meaning, I feel like only a physical assault is really an attack, but you can set it up where it's going to be an obvious attack. Indifference and malice. Indifference and malice. So in most cases, people are neither indifferent nor malicious towards you. Now, the indifference, I want to explain that a little bit more because sometimes when a person cuts you off in traffic or takes you, they're not being indifferent to you. They are just don't have the bandwidth of compassion. They're not looking around. Their radar is closed off. It's limited. They're just trying to get through their day. That's all they're doing. It has nothing to do with you. It has nothing to do with any of that. Now, when you investigate and you go a little deeper, if they make it a point to be indifferent or malicious towards you, then that is an alarm. That's an alert that you are potentially in a threatening environment. Thus, you will act in a, in a way that you are threatened or that your life and limb are now in danger. And if you don't act in a way that imminent danger is there, the body, a visceral response has by you get very toxic, your cortisol levels start to go up, your adrenaline levels go up. So you have to do something with that, and that's where rage comes from. You think the road rage events often start with something very minor, and then there is a multiplier of that. There's an example here in L.A. where someone cuts someone off on the road and the person honks at them and the person uh, gives them the F.U. finger. That person pulls out a gun, kills the baby in the car. So you say, well, that's terrible. They killed the baby in the car. But let's really think about what we're talking about feelings and how unless you're training yourself to really own your feelings, you're like the average person. Remember, the feeling is just dough. Whether I'm going to turn that dough into a flavorful croissant, a nice biscuit, or a, uh, a rat cake. I don't know. So what happened? Driving down the road, listening to your radio station, you get in your lane. You didn't realize somebody's pulling up behind them. One that lane, they honk at you. Oh, oops. You're alerted to what's going on. You could do two things. You could say with your hand, Sorry, excuse me, and keep going. Or you could say, fuck you, I wish you death. And then they can respond either way. They could say, oh, they said, excuse me, um, cool, or I hate you anyway. Or they can say, oh, you, you're mean to me, I'm going to be meaner to you. This is how we do it. This is what's going on with the political environment. The minute I hear people talk, and they're partisan, all those conservatives, all those liberals, you already know where it's going to go. You're conjuring up negative feelings that then you can keep going off the ledge. 
I've always told people, do an exercise. Only complain about your tribe. Fix your tribe. And you'd be surprised at how humble people are and how many excuses they give for their tribe that they would never give for another tribe. So feelings, those initiators, those that are sitting there are seasoned with attachment. They're seasoned with uh, group affiliation. They're seasoned with a sense of shared experience. But interesting enough, you can apply that to anybody universally if you want. That's why the people, these enlightened people always say, practice general compassion, not specific compassion. Just be compassionate. That's what we try to do here with the, 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 the lady that owns the store. We know we can't go out and save every small business owner. We're barely floating ourselves. But we can extend our heart a little bit to the best of our ability. Not for her sake, but for our own sake, to clear up our own humanity. I can't tell my mom I understand. My mom's long gone. I can't tell my aunts and things like that. You guys were great. But I can, for my own selfish reasons, I can extend myself to her. And she rewarded me when I walked in. And just to see the glow on her, then I could go and serve that up to my ego and pat myself on the back and say, you know, I, I did something. Right, Caitlin? We did something. It felt good. That's all it is. That's all, a good feeling. As opposed to a bad... that. That good feeling was initiated by a bad feeling. And all the actions in between those polarities were what moved things to make things happen so that she has an employee now helping her. So it wasn't the feelings, it was the actions that preceded, that, that came after the feelings, I should say. So we want to take ownership of what we feel. How many times you know people are mad at each other because they're imagining what the other person's feeling and how that person made them feel? Or I warn people, oftentimes when you read people, oftentimes it is a, a, a much less interesting script than you think it is. People let you know not how they feel, but how they act. That's what you want to look at. How do you act? What do you do? Not what you say. Not what I sense or feel, but what are your actions? What are you actually doing? And then you work with that. I was explaining to Caitlin the other day about patience with people. When she was all pissed off, I went through the list of everybody I know and how they have failed me in one way or another. And she said, well, how do you put up with it? However you said it. What, 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 how do you? Well, you see my kidneys failed and all that kind of stuff. But it wasn't them. It was me. It was what I wanted from them, what I wanted to feel. But I also realized it was me. So I backed away and I accept everyone for where they're at. And they're all very predictable. All of us are very, 8 billion people, 10 different stories. We're all very predictable. So what can I do? I can't change the people. I can change me. A good friend, Keith David, always has a thing on his phone. He says, if you can't change the people around you, change the people around you. <laughs> and I love that because if you're not feeling good about a situation, take responsibility. Develop, I develop new strategies. I don't expect more from people than what 
their actions show me they can do. Not and, and because if I do, I'll feel hurt. I'll feel abused. I'll feel neglected. I'll feel unloved. The same mistake I made with my mother, I'll make with everybody I meet. Unless I take responsibility for those feelings. And I have a choice on how I feel about something. Always weigh actions more than anything else. Feelings are initiators and what we embellish them with. And because uh, my wife, like many wives and, and many women out there, are very neurotic, right? That's not a bad thing. That's a nesting feature. And when I go home, I don't want to talk about work. I don't want to talk. It, it's over for me. I've learned that in boundaries. I had to learn that the hard way because I come from a, a family of, of entrepreneur, entrepreneurs, survivors, revolutionaries, who lived on the fringes. And so 24-7, they were going. And the value of having boundaries and shutting down, because when you have those boundaries, that's when you live life. I don't like to talk about issues of work at home. My wife comes from a slightly different background, where they were merchants and things like that. So they want to talk about the latest sale, the latest coupon. And that's very interesting and fulfilling conversations for them and their family. So if she can talk about a work issue, I'm looking at the clock and I want to know when are you going to be done. So if it's an issue here, I want to put the fire out as soon as possible. And But she'll light another fire, of course, but I'm going to always try to be ahead of the game so the fire doesn't come into become infernal because it's very interesting. And that's why I was telling you, I was yelling at Caitlin, don't talk to my wife about this because she loves it. It's like a novella for her. It's like a soap opera. And she loves novellas and soap operas. I cannot stand them. You know what I mean? And every now and then we'll have a, a time and we're sitting down and she'll put on a novella. And I'll put, well, I'll sit there with her. And she, I'm so glad you're sitting here with me watching this novella. Normally you don't like this stuff. I say, I don't like it. But the fact that you're chilled out is comforting for me. So if it chills you out, I'm kind of for it. You follow me, Vin? Yeah, I definitely follow you. Um, <laughs> you're going to lose half our audience with your neurotic comments. But the, the whole nesting thing, it's interesting. I, I feel like I'm the same way, that I just don't need to talk about certain things. So once something is done, it's done. We can move on. Uh, maybe that's a different topic for a different day. We've covered a lot of ground, Z, and to me, I just want to take a second and reiterate some of the points we've made. I feel like there are a lot of things that you've said and that we've talked about which can really help the opt-out community. So number one, we talked about ownership, uh, feelings. Even before that, we talked about feelings as, as a signal that something is wrong, like a gauge on your car. Uh, so if something's going wrong, you got to pay attention to it. We talked about ownership. Uh, it's very important to take ownership of those feelings and to try and fix yourself, not try and fix the world around you. This whole tendency that we have to blame other people, uh, we can mitigate that if we look at intent. Uh, so is someone indifferent? Are uh, they expressing malice towards us? If they are, well, then it's a hostile situation. We can act accordingly. If not, we should probably let it go. Again, go back to working on ourselves. 
And then finally, you talked about strategies to manage different types of feelings. And this I want to hone in on a little bit because sometimes, let's say that we've accepted responsibility. Someone listens to this podcast. They're like, okay, great. I'm all ready to get myself under control. I'm not going to blame the world. I'm going to work on myself. I'm going to get to this state of higher consciousness that Z is talking about and Vin is talking about. But practically, we get trapped sometimes because the feelings are so intense, we just don't know what to do with them. Uh, Sometimes it's feelings of anxiety, and it's like the mind is just going in a loop and you can't stop thinking about something. Or sometimes you're so angry, you want to let it go. You know it's counterproductive, but you're just holding on. Like, why were they so stupid? Why did they do that? How can someone do that to me? And there's no resolution. There's no way to get beyond this. So there are a few strategies that we covered. Uh, One which I thought was interesting was around grief and your point that after a certain amount of time, there are cultures which say, okay, grieving time is over. Now it's time to pick up. So that's about setting limits and boundaries around the feelings. You talked about your own experience and how a lot of your feelings come from expecting certain things from other people. So this discipline of accepting people for who they are and where they are is important and can mitigate a lot of that hostility. Uh, we talked about awareness of intent, but what what other advice would you have? I mean, when feelings are just hitting us so hard, we're holding on to them, we don't know what to do. Are, are there other techniques that you would recommend uh, to help us resolve the situation? What I say all the time, Vin, is sometimes having a yantra around a book that reminds you how to stay your course. That extra voice that you listen, if you go to my house, I have a mantra playing all the time. And so I used to have it up here, playing all the time. And that centers and grounds me so that I can always distinguish between what I feel and what's on my mind and my actions. So as I work on the three vectors that try on, of actions, intention, sensation. I have governance over that. I let the steady mind govern my behavior. I was working on an exercise with people the other day in Qigong, and I talked about a person who was having a respiratory issue, was in respiratory distress. And whenever you see someone in respiratory distress, if you could appeal to their mind to calm their breathing withdraw their senses. Even if their airway is obstructed, not blocked, but obstructed, they can slowly breathe and maintain life while you clear the obstruction or it clears itself. But if they panic, they succumb to the feelings, inflammation will set in and it will get worse and worse and worse. It gets worse and worse. It's just like a contagion, like seeing... Uh, how feelings can trigger things. Here's a, a another gross story that, again, you say we're going to lose people. I think we'll gain people because we're very honest. Many years ago, I was on a road trip. And I don't eat fast food. And I have a very sensitive gut. So I'm with someone and they says, hey, we've been on the road for like eight hours. I need to get something to eat. I'm having a diabetic attack. I said, okay, we can't push through that. Let's go over and pull over it one of these fast food highway places. So I look at the menu and there's literally nothing I could eat but possibly onion rings 
and a grilled cheese sandwich maybe. I think that might be the safest thing. God knows how it's prepared to cook. So this person goes and gets them a, you know, a, an unhappy meal or whatever, uh, or, 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 or Denny's Delight or whatever it was. And I don't, you know, I said, well, I said, well, I better get something. So I said, I'll do the safest thing on me. I get onion rings and I will get a, um, a cheese doodle sandwich or whatever. It doesn't look like it's too horrible. So I eat the thing, and as we're leaving, my stomach immediately rebels against whatever um, fats or whatever they had on the grill, whatever septic things they were preparing with MSG. I start to leave the restaurant, and I feel as if I have dysentery. My stomach starts to boil and gurgle, and I have projectile vomiting right outside the door of the restaurant. I'm sick. It's just everything that they put in me is just spraying out of my mouth. Everybody coming out of the restaurant sees me. They feel sick. They start vomiting. People coming into the restaurant see a line of people throwing up. They all start throwing up. And the, the manager comes out and says, we got to shut the restaurant down because you have 10 people out there and there's Upchuck running down the 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 uh, sewer or the grill the, the the sewer there, and it's a feeling. It's contagious. All of them were okay. They saw me. They connected to me on that emotional level. It triggered a visceral response in their body. Think about what we do to each other when we listen to the news or we share bad news. And we share that bad news and it becomes, you ever tell somebody a sad story and they start crying too? Or you tell them uh, a happy story and they feel okay, but the sad story is the one that really screws their day up. And they'll hear you, they'll pat you on the back, but they don't want to be around you anymore because that last experience was horrible. You understand what I'm saying? That's where people blow friendships. That's when you know you have a real friend because you can share everything with them. If you have a fair weather friend and you say, hey, you know, stuff's kind of rough. You know, my puppy's in the hospital. Oh, Fido's got to be in Fido. They'll attach you. They say, oh, you just, oh, total, you're a total bummer. You just, end, you just destroyed the party, right? So we want to understand the mechanism of feeling that we can initiate, activate actions with feelings. Thus, take ownership of what you feel. Accept where it takes you. And then govern it with a steady consciousness and mind. This is a continuous, this is a try on what you feel. For example, the nausea I felt from eating food that I was suspect is a lot of things because I was suspicious of the food anyway. My gut feeling was I shouldn't go in this place. That conspired with a reaction to my body that then was empathetically picked up by everybody else. That negativity was picked up by everybody else. The world is in that state right now. Our world is hurting right now. But not only that, but there are feelings of confusion. As Caitlin was, I was asking her about her generation, like dating, how is it even daily? She just shook her head. She just like, I think it's a hopeless situation, and uh, because it's scary. I mean, it, it's frightening. Uh, these young fellas 
I'd have to tell you off podcast, it's just bizarre who I meet in the course of a day uh, who are in that generation, all those kids born in the 80s and 90s that are coming of age now. It is utterly like a science fiction movie because all of their feelings have been translated and transposed into digital medium. So their visceral fulfillment comes from video games. That then feeds their reality, right? It's our feeling, our intention, our action that makes our reality, right? What you think, what your intentions are, what you act upon, what you get the feedback. So this whole generation that grew up in this digital age, they have no, they don't have gross sensuality. So there's no male-female distinction in that sense. As I said earlier, hey, my wife's neurotic. I, I'm not saying that in malicious. I, I expect most women to be that way. And it's not, neurosis is not always bad. It depends on the extreme. Women have a nesting instinct. They, you know, they got other stuff going on. They got to deal with babies. I don't have to deal with that stuff unless I want to. And it brings me, but that's just nature is, is blessed. I, I believe in mother nature. And there's a reason that men's minds and women's minds were different up until around 1980 something. <laughs> Okay, so once kids born in the 1980s, a large percentage of them do not abide by the million year rule, the ancient rules of nature. So what they feel is filtered through the video games. They, there's ads now, you drive down the street and there's video games where you can kill thousands of people. Have you seen that? Big ads. And you could kill thousands of people on this video game. And it fulfills some anger in them or something. Why they want to kill thousands of people, I don't know. And I was telling a kid, he was sitting here today, and he said, well, I'm a video gamer. So do you play video games? I said, no, I'm a dinosaur. I've actually been to war. It wasn't fun. It hurt. It stunk. The food was bad. And you were dirty for days at a time around other dirty people for days at a time and you have haunting memories. So I don't want to do that just for shits and giggles. And he was like, oh. Oh, he couldn't even relate because whatever he's felt uh, his is digital. It isn't from his fingertips or the skin it's from a part of the brain that's been hijacked to subdue that. So their feelings and their reality are very intertwined. So most of the men in Caitlin's generation don't look at women like the men in my generation. We salivate when we see women. We control ourselves because that's the law. Okay? But we like women the way they feel, the way they move, the way they don't stink like men stink. We like that. But that's a different feeling from a different time. Many will hear this years from now and we'll be long dead. <laughs> and you'll get all your pheromones digitally. Or injected. Injected. Do they inject them? 
Yeah, you get the. Caitlin said they're injecting. I did not the say feeling. that. I, that's my theory that that's what we're. Okay, about. yeah. So I feel sorry for her. Maybe I shouldn't. Maybe it's just the way life is. But it's. I don't see the other side of it. But anyway, let's get back on track. Go for it, Vin. Well, Z, one thing you said, even though you were going off on your tirade about the digital world and the millennial generation, there is something you said that I thought was really interesting, that because we're in this virtual world all the time, we're disconnected from our feelings. We don't even know what we feel. We don't know what is real. I mean, feelings are supposed to give us signals about what's happening within, what's happening without, and that connection is severed. So you step back from that and you think about how our society works. Let's say you're not even playing a video game. Maybe you're a different generation. Maybe you don't like video games, but your mind is somewhere else. You're on your phone all the time. It's just the nature of technology today and habit that we're distracted. We're not present. We're not in our bodies. And because of that, we don't even know what we feel. That awareness isn't there. So we talk about being accountable, being responsible for what we feel, the first step is to be in touch with the feelings, to sense what we are feeling, not to reflexively dismiss it or hide from it or make excuses for it or try and find something to do to distract us from it, go and get some coffee, get a drink, go out, because that stuff doesn't go away. And eventually it builds up. And eventually, as you're saying, it turns into road rage, it turns into depression, it turns into something more severe uh, because we haven't reached or recreated that uh, that uh, homeostasis. Uh, we're, we're in a either a deficit or some state of imbalance that's building and building, and eventually, like water pushing up against a dam, it's going to overflow. It's going to create a flood. Uh, so maybe we can close on this. I don't know if you have any final thoughts, but we, we did talk about all of these strategies for dealing with feelings and just to add uh, to that procedure, uh, being present, making sure that you can step back. We've talked about before uh, how we don't need to take action immediately. We can create some space between the situation and our action. So we have time to process the feeling and decide intelligently what to do about it. We can take a deep breath. I mean, that's such a common refrain. But you think about the wisdom behind that, you take a deep breath, suddenly, number one, you're aware of what you're feeling. Number two, you might be aware of why you're feeling it. Three, you know what to do about it. Four, you're uh, acknowledging the consequences of your actions. So you just make better decisions and you can heal yourself to an extent that you can't if you don't even know what's going on. So that's it for me, Z. I don't know if you have any concluding thoughts or want to add to that. Now, I just leave everybody with this. Remember that feelings don't have intellect and intellects don't have feelings. Each of them work together to create our reality. Be very aware of feelings are transient, volatile, and they have a limited role in forming your reality. Your, your, the finality of your actions will determine who you are. You don't ever, you can never know what another person is feeling. You can empathize, you can have compassion for, but you can't compare 
or measure your feelings by theirs. You can only empathize. All right? All right. I like that. Don't take feelings too seriously. Thanks, everyone. Talk to you next week. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review on Podbean, iTunes, or your favorite podcasting app. Each five-star review helps us bring you more unique and insightful content. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. Peace.